A mysterious lab, a sinister scientist, a secret history. If you think you know the truth behind Eleven's mother, prepare to have your mind turned upside down in this thrilling prequel to the hit show Stranger Things. Stranger Things, Suspicious Minds by Gwenda Bond, published by Del Rey, available in stores now. This is Gwenda Bond, author of Suspicious Minds, and you're listening to the Upside Down Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Upside Down Podcast. This is Ash. Today, we're going to be speaking with Gwenda Bond, author of Suspicious Minds. If you haven't read the book, stop what you're doing, go to your local bookstore and purchase it. We are going to be discussing a lot of spoilers. This is a great novel and we really had a good conversation. Gwenda and I are totally BFFs now, guys, just so that you know. Um, Also, if you want to meet Gwenda in person, which I highly recommend, you can go see her in Paris. She's there this week. I'm not sure the dates, but check her out on her social media, Gwenda Bond at Instagram. And also, she's going to be at Emerald City Comic Con coming up this March the 14th through the 17th. She'll be there with a lot of the other Stranger Things kids. So that's a great trip. I would recommend making it. We hope you enjoy this episode. Gwenda, thank you so much for being on the podcast and stay strange. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to talk to you. I feel like I know you from our Instagram chats. Same, same. I love your bangs, by the way. Thank you. I can't style my hair. You're so cute. (laughs) So um, are you getting ready for Paris right now? Yeah, and a bunch of other stuff. My husband and I are doing a writing project together, and so we have to get an outline out the door before I leave. So it's a little crazy this week. So congratulations on being a New York Times bestseller. Thank you. You're fancy. (laughs) (laughs) The dogs don't think I'm fancy. So let's talk about the book. I'm going to ask you some basic questions, and then I'll ask you some actual questions that our fans sent in. And our fans are anywhere from the ages of like nine to maybe 60. So I'm just going to ask them in the order that they came in. And then I just finished the book this morning. I had 20 pages left. I built a little fort on my bed last night and I stayed up till like one in the morning reading the last few chapters. I was like, I have to read the last few chapters. Um, And it's so lovely. I really, really enjoyed the book. I loved how you gave us so much backstory. You know, we've we've been recommending it, as you know, to fans on social media for like before. I think before you you guys. (laughs) <laughs> before it was done before you even started writing it i think i saw an announcement yeah. in the new york times or something that yeah. you were going to be writing it and i searched you down i found you like immediately yep. i was like we have to connect with her whenever she writes the book whenever it's written we have to do this so i'm super excited that it all worked out but the main question that we've gotten is how did you get the opportunity to write the sequel it seems like being the first official stranger things novel that would be a field that a lot of writers would be you know trying to get their hands on yeah and so my answer is going to be hugely unsatisfying and make those people just want to kill me even more. Um, I will say this is probably the job. I mean, I got this a little bit with Lois Lane, but definitely with this book, like is the, is my actual friends, writer friends being like, congratulations. Also, I'm so jealous. (laughs) And, uh, and I feel that, you know, that was definitely um, added some extra weight knowing when you're doing something that, you know, that lots and lots of other writers would love the opportunity to do. My lovely editor, Elizabeth Schaefer at Del Rey just approached my agent and asked, actually it was around this time last year, if I would be interested in taking this on because she thought I would be a good fit for it and whether I would have time to kind of drop everything and, and write the book. And of course, my answer was immediate, you know, enthusiastic. Yes. You're like, Uh, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have turned down like, you know, there are I do get approached for things. I I have to really feel passionate and like I'm the right person to take something on. Like, uh, you know, like I'm not going to write a Minecraft book because I don't know anything about Minecraft. So they're like, we'd love to have you write a Minecraft book. And I'm like, 
No, you wouldn't. Like you yeah. think you would, but it would be terrible because I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so you were a so, fan of Stranger Things. I was uh, right from the beginning. I think I, Stephen King tweeted about the show um, that first weekend, and I went, "This is, sounds like my childhood." And so I dropped everything and watched it right away. And and I think the Duffer Brothers and I grew up with a lot of the same influences, mm-hmm. especially '80s horror novels and film. You know, I really grew up reading Stephen King and Robert McCammon and all those great books and watching Steven Spielberg movies and but also John Carpenter even though I was like a very susceptible to scares and was probably shouldn't have been watching stuff there was a brief period in my childhood when my parents refused to let me watch scary movies anymore because (laughs) I would just stay up all night and read because it was obviously not safe to sleep when it was dark out and they're like no more horror movies for you (laughs) but then of course when I was a teenager I went back and started watching everything and, and became a real fan of that stuff so I mean it was immediately appealing to me because you know one of the things we definitely wanted to do was kind of reference books that from the the period or the inspired like kind of the show and so I immediately started reading once I got this opportunity I started reading early rereading early Stephen King books that I hadn't read since I was a kid and that's actually where the chapter structure comes from Uh, because those books all have like these long chapters, but they're subdivided into numbered sections. Mm-hmm. And so that is my extremely nerdy felt like the kind of thing that Stranger, you know, because Stranger Things does so many little embedded structural hat tips and, you know, like shots and references to other like kind of media that it just yeah. felt like it made sense to kind of put something even in on like the ground level of the structure of the book. Well, I definitely noticed when I was reading the book that you do a lot of nice little touches in there, which I'm actually going to ask you about after I get through everyone else's questions. But so that's interesting to hear you confirm it. But so basically you just, your publisher was just like, we're interested in you. Would you want to do this? And you were like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I know it's spectacularly unsatisfying. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I feel like your book has a strong feminist pull to it with a lot of the characters. So with your history of writing, yeah. you know, young adult female empowerment books, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that this would be given to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I do think that has to have been part of the that has to have been part of the rationale, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a chance to visit any of the sets, such as Hawkins Lab or the Ives Home, which are both here in Georgia? I did not, although I've got to like come and get you to take me on a tour of these places. I you know, because these timelines are so tight on a book like this, it really is all about I mean, there's not much time to do anything. I always say I wrote, slept, and walked the dogs and stress ate. It's basically the <laughs> deadline process uh, for this book. I did rewatch the show a lot for like very minor details, like how does the door work? What do the light fixtures look like in a room? You know, those kind of things that you want to have the texture right. So I kind of feel like I've been to those places. And also because Kentucky is not that different from Georgia, you know, like mm-hmm. in small town Indiana, it all feels like kind of this, you know, a lot of commonalities in landscape and sort of architecture and those sorts of things. So I think that helps. Well, I think you did a really good job. I mean, before I knew the answer, I was wondering if you had visited too, because uh, Tori and I have been, of course, to Hawkins and the exteriors are just so creepy. And when you're there, yeah. you just feel like you've stepped back in time. I mean, it's part of Emory Briarcliff campus. It's an older campus and uh... it hasn't been used. It's not really used for anything. People that have shot there have told me that there was still 
asbestos in the building. And so they had oh, to I'm like sure. clean it out. So I thought you did a really good job of capturing it. So when I heard that you hadn't been, hey, kitty cat. <laughs> um, guys, a kitty cat just appeared on the screen. Stella, Stella likes to jump up on the back of my chair and hang out there. But yeah, if you come back to Atlanta, you should definitely go. We know where all of the places are, but I feel like okay. you especially could get a private tour of Hawkins Lab. Yeah, that'd be so fun. You should definitely go. It's a really fun experience. What was your prep for the novel? The novel starts in 1969. So most fans of Stranger Things know that it's happening in the 80s during the Cold War. And they know that Eleven is being geared to be this kind of weapon. But you start it in 1969 during the Vietnam War, which I guess you do because you need to for Eleven's age. But it's really interesting. How did you prepare for that and for all of those? You know, you add a lot of details about that time period. So that was really the, it's so funny because every time I say, well, I'll never write something like this or that, I end up writing it. And I've always been very intimidated by the idea of writing historical fiction. Like it just felt like untackable. But then this obviously needed to have a period, have a period feel the same way the show does, but for this different time. And it felt like an opportunity to my editor and I were both really on the same page early on that if you had college kids in this time period, the politics of the day were so much a part of their day-to-day lives and their futures. And especially if you come from a small town, you're going to know tons of kids who had already, you know, gone to Vietnam or were serving there who had passed away. And so I did really want to dive into that stuff. It's funny. I actually have thing that they sent me. The first thing they sent was this book that the Netflix people recommended. My editor overnighted it to me. It's Annie Jacobson's Phenomena. So it's sort of the backstory of all of the military CIA research into ESP and all the things that sort of even jumping off from MK Ultra, the show is kind of based on. And we knew we wanted it to really the main plot with Terry to focus on Dr. Brenner and MK Ultra. So I did a ton of research on MK Ultra and the Vietnam War, but also on random day-to-day things because that's what makes Stranger one of the things that makes Stranger Things so great is that you have all the food references and the pop culture references and the music. And I really wanted all those things to be in. So I decided pretty early on, I was going to make it cover a year in Terry's life when we kind of see this hot house and see her get pregnant and really see how she could not have known until late in the pregnancy because there's so much going on in her life. And because I broke it down month by month. So each chapter, for those of you who haven't read the book is a, is roughly a month subdivided into, um, into smaller sections So that really allowed me to kind of, I think, get my arms around the research and look at what was going on in each month. And, you know, some months there's really nothing that's super resonant for the characters. And so we get more pop culture in those months. And some months there's things like the televised draft. And so that, you know, seemed like a real opportunity to kind of infuse the time period into the story. So it was fun, but I definitely... I always say it was really, it was a strange process of writing, no pun intended, um, (laughs) because, you know, the timeline is, the the deadlines are pretty intense, but I really wanted to get those things right. And so I stopped and Googled everything. And the good news is when you're only writing about like something like the late 60s, 
there's a lot of ready resources. There were very few things that I had to like actually go to a library or beg Twitter for help with. You know, one of the things I love about Stranger Things, which you just mentioned, is all of the attention to details. Like when they have the Three Musketeers rapper for Dart, but it's like the exact rapper from the 80s. And I noticed that you did that too. And I think it's really satisfying because, you know, a lot of younger readers are reading this book to find out more about Terry Ives. And you have things in there like the hostess cakes and, you know, Yoko and and John Lennon uh, breaking up the Beatles and the Kent State tragedy. You have a lot of those details placed throughout it. And I was like, that's really fascinating. She kind of, like, you do that a lot throughout the book. You mimic Mm -hmm. kind of the things that the show does. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I'm glad that worked. (laughs) That was really, that was definitely, I mean, I wanted it to feel like the show in that way, you know, to have those layers of little, little tiny things. Yeah. And another thing you just mentioned, you know, you were giving some context and you were saying for fans that haven't read the book yet, we're definitely going to delve into the book. So before we do this <laughs> podcast, I will place an intro at the beginning that says, you know, spoilers, if you haven't yeah. read the book yet, go buy it today, read it and then listen to the show. So feel free to just go into anything when I okay. ask you the questions, because Great. we're going to we're going to put an alert on there. Because it doesn't make sense to talk to you and to not get the juicy details. Actually, this is great because this is the perfect – like I never get to talk about spoilers on any of the other interviews that I do, but this is the perfect place for it. How many revisions of the book did you have? I feel like from the time that you announced or (laughs) when I saw the announcement, I feel like the book came out relatively quickly. Were you already en route? Were you already working on it before the announcement or was it just a quick process for you? I was already working on it. I had already done a couple iterations of an outline. So we had like sort of the overarching direction of the book and I have written a little bit of it. We had then a consultant that came on maybe a little bit before the uh, before the announcement, but not too long before. Paul Dichter, who's a, a staff writer on the show, and he worked really closely with, with my, me and my editor on nailing down like kind of the final details. Once we got those final details nailed down, it was sort of a rush to the draft stage. And revision is really where I shine as a writer. Like drafting is very is pain. And it's like, mm-hmm. just gotta finish and then I can fix it. And you probably saw I posted pictures because there wasn't that long to do revisions. Or at least it was really helpful to everyone if I was fast on doing revisions. Let's put it that way. So that they, uh, so I did a, a wall of index cards for each chapter with each scene and what had to change for the mm-hmm. revision. And then I would put a little Halloween sticker on each one as I finished so I could see where I was. So that was one big revision and then probably a couple minor revisions like before we really finalized stuff. So pretty fast in the terms of, um, but you kind of, to do this kind of project, you have to be that kind of writer. And in some ways it's very freeing because you don't get bogged down with overthinking everything. Mm -hmm. You just have to kind of make decisions and go with it. And so it's kind of a pure process in some ways. Like there's less, and also you have this team around you of consultants and Elizabeth and people who really care about the property and so you have this sort of support network that you don't necessarily have when you're writing one of your own original books. I'm sure you knew that the book was going to be successful just by correlation to the show but did you have any idea how obsessed fans were going to become of the book when it was released? It was like almost immediately people were talking about it, posting it, making you know those images with like their coffee sitting next to the book. (laughs) You know you never know. I mean honestly the one thing that I've learned about publishing is not to take anything for granted. So 
obviously I hoped it would be successful, but it was kind of a very stressful publication process in a, in a specific way in that I felt good about the book, but there were no advanced reader copies, which is unusual for me, at least. It's not unusual for a book like this because you want, they want everyone to get it roughly the same time and mm-hmm. there not be a ton of spoilers and pirate copies floating around. But it meant that I had had no reactions mm-hmm. other than my husband and my editor and, you know, the, the team that worked on the book. And so I thought when review copies started going out, I didn't realize people really weren't supposed to post reviews until it like right before. And so I'm like, they just hate it. They must just hate it because you don't know. Right. So it's such a relief when, you know, it was a real relief when I did start to see reviews and people were really getting exactly, you know, what I wanted, hoped to do with the book. And of course you're never going to make everyone happy, but uh, you know, I've had such good luck with fans. The Lois Lane fandom was just wonderful about those books and Stranger Things fans, I feel like have been much the same, like just really excited and enthusiastic. And I mean, as a writer, there's not much cooler than, you know, having people be obsessed with something that you wrote and discuss it. I mean, it just is it's surreal in a way. And it's like the most flattering possible reaction that you can get. You know, we've dealt with a lot of Stranger Things fans, obviously, and they're the best. They're super supportive and nice. They really and- <laughs> are. Yeah. I mean, not every fandom is like that. So, yeah. It's just, I mean, they've been lovely. Now, when you read the book, it's told in such a succinct way that it actually feels like a story. What do you think the possibilities are? And you don't have to tell me if you already know the answer <laughs> that Netflix might make this into a short movie. Maybe after the series ends, they might do a series of shorts based on this novel or the Hopper novel, because it it really lends itself to being a short film. Like, it's really... I mean- I'd love that. I mean, obviously. I mean, I sort of tried to structure it a little bit like a season of TV, again, with the each month of a chapter and some structure within each, you know, kind of long section that things are happening, because I, that's just a, I mean, that's a structure that I like. So that would be awesome. I know nothing and would probably be the last to know <laughs> if anything happens. But uh, no, I mean, I would love that. And, you know, I think that it does have that, it does have a lot of those qualities. You know, I tried to give like a really good Scooby gang, but because the gender dynamics are, are sort of flipped almost from the show, which made sense because it was a book about Terry. I think it both does hopefully does a lot of things that people love about the show, but also then in kind of a slightly different way. Right. So it would be fun to see that adapted. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you some of the fan questions. If you listen to the podcast or if you know anything about it, I am horrible with names. So I'm going to try to, I'm (laughs) going to, I'm going to do my, I'm going to do my very best to read these to you. So stranger things underscore zero 11 says, what encouraged you to want to write a prequel to this amazing show? So just thinking about what we see of Terry on the show. And even though she has this tragic sort of arc, ultimately, you know, the things that we see about her past are always her fighting these huge forces, you know, and, and, you know, to the extent of like fighting in court, finally breaking into the lab, even though she is not herself, when she and Eleven finally are in the same room together, she finds a way to give her information that's valuable and context about her life, right? Mm -hmm. And so thinking about all those things, I just thought, what an interesting, obviously 
a fighter of a character. And so I really, really wanted to give her a hero's journey. You know, I wanted to give her an arc because, you know, a a little bit more of I mean, in some ways it makes things more tragic, hopefully. But in other ways, at least you get to see that she sort of did have this kind of full, rich life and these dreams. And to see what sort of I mean in some ways too to see what the parallels between like if Eleven hadn't managed to escape right the lab that these kinds of forces and experiments can ruin people's lives you know and I mean they're based on real life things and uh, it's funny because when I started not funny haha but funny like odd or uh, disturbingly when I started researching MKUltra I found out that one of the worst most notorious parts of the experiment this doctor in a psych hospital who dosed a mental patient with uh, lsd for over 100 days in a row and uh, it was a mile from my house and so you know the idea that there were these sort of real life dr brenners out there kind of monkeying around with people's brains i wanted to show people just what it means to like be sort of trapped in that web and have to try and escape and as we know it hasn't been easy for 11 either right to deal with the process of having been trapped there. So I think there's a lot of parallels and also hopefully we can see some more of Terry and Eleven and what a, you know, she's a fighter too. That's one of the nice things about the book too. I keep saying that's one of the nice things. There's so many nice things. (laughs) But when you meet Eleven, she's quiet and she's shy, but then she's got this like inner strength. And so it's nice to see this with Terry because when you meet Terry on the show, she's so defeated and you don't really know anything about her or where she came from. And so this book really gives you a lot of nice backstory and you can kind of see how Eleven gets the strength that she has. So I really enjoyed Uh that. Kitten Corrosion says, are you haunted by the thought of what a happy family Jane could have had? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, just to think of like, uh, you know, Terry, Andrew and, and Jane would have been pretty, I think they would have been pretty great, pretty great family. I think that's what makes it so tragic is that Andrew (laughs) is so wonderful and he and Jane together, or not Jane, um, Terry are so magical that it it makes it even more heartbreaking that they're not together. And not only that, but that Jane, you know, will never have the chance to meet him is yeah, so yeah, sad. fans fans probably, I mean, that's something that she probably will never find out. And um, so in some ways, fans know a little bit more about like sort of her family history than, than she does. I um, can actually tell you that this person is a, a follower of ours for a long time. Yeah. And she's already written some fan fiction about what their oh. life would be like. I saw oh, her post it. That's delightful. <laughs> so <laughs> what a huge compliment. <laughs> Let's see. Now, I know that earlier you said you had worked with one of the writers on Stranger Things, Paul, but did you have a chance to work with the Duffers or did they give you any feedback about the novel? Paul was kind of our our line to the Duffers. Like he could literally, because they were shooting during a lot of the negotiation of the final sort of outline, he would actually go find, you know, one of them on set and run an idea by them and make sure like, is this cool if Gwenda runs with this? Which was great. I mean, again, like I felt very supported. They were very open to almost everything I proposed. There was nothing that I really cared about that had to be changed. Ultimately, everything was like tweaks just to make sure the supernatural components and the way that they had envisioned sort of Terry's powers and the level of power that she might have, that those were consistent with what they had envisioned. But in terms of like her personality and her friends, they were very, and even Andrew, they were very open and, and they very much did. Um, Paul, you know, conveyed that they wanted the writers on these projects to feel 
like, you know, yes, it needs to be consistent with the show, but but, you know, have some freedom to put your own stamp on it because that's, you know, that's that that's going to make for better books for the fans, you know, than if you try to control everything and have this sort of, you know, blank you know, people like sort of file down their voice and, and things like that. So I think these books are going to be great. Um, and, you know, Adam, who's writing the who wrote the Hopper novel, we're friends. Um, <gasps> Tell Tony him to be on does, the podcast. <laughs> I will. I'm sure he'll be happy to. Uh, we both started our first books were with the same small book. British publisher and so we've known each other for years on and off and I know he was just over the moon to write a Hopper story and I bet it's gonna be great that's interesting that you're both friends and that you both got the opportunity when he was offered it did he give you a call (laughs) he didn't he because you're not supposed to talk about it I actually Um. figured it out before it was announced because he was just so enthusiastic and it's like I know we're friends but your enthusiasm and I knew he was posting about a secret project and I'm like I know you've signed an NDA and can't tell anyone so I'm just not gonna press but I suspected and then I was like I was right that's amazing (laughs) Allison Allgood says which character was the easiest and then which character was the most fun for you to write oh that's a great question I mean I love writing all the friend gang Alice was like a character that I just fell in love with immediately and when we were trying to figure out in the outline where to kind of fit in more of sort of because the, of course the upside down doesn't really exist at this period but we still wanted I still wanted to to find a way to have some of it in the book some of that flavor and so Alice just leapt off the page and then as I was as we were negotiating I'm like how about if we give Alice some more powers and everybody's like let's just make sure that's cool with the duffers and then thankfully it was. But so writing Alice, I just fell in love with her instantly. And she's just such a fun, quirky character to write. So th- so I would definitely say her. But also writing Terry and Andrew together was pretty fun, despite yeah. how tragic it ends up being. <laughs> One of the things I thought was so funny about Alice was, and I went back and I reread it, is when she was talking about kind of her version of the Upside Down. And you started describing, or she started describing the things that she was seeing in her visions. And she started saying, you know, this monster with these long arms uh-huh. and a flower petal face uh-huh. that opens up and he, it's in the beneath. And I was like, wait a minute, the beneath, the upside down. I was like, is she going there? Is Alex, are we going there already? Like, I was really fascinated that the, I didn't know that the book was going to kind of connect us with what we were familiar with kind of as the upside down. She was saying that she saw spider webs and yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Cool. Yeah, I thought that would be, I mean, a good way to, to connect that story with the present of the show you know Alice is kind of our link to the future yeah and sort of Terry's link to seeing and you know kind of understanding like what's going to happen to Eleven and why she fights so hard to try and stop it it's funny because I pride myself when I read books or when I watch movies I'm like I'm gonna figure it out right away in the sixth (laughs) sense I was like he's dead (laughs) I was like I got it me too yeah (laughs) and so I was really surprised when I was reading this that I did not I mean, I was focused so much on the characters, but it didn't even occur to me that Alice was seeing the future. Like, I was just thinking, oh, man, (laughs) I I was like, the Demogorgon is here now and she's already seeing him. And then when I can't remember who it was, but I think it was Gloria. She said, when you were seeing the vision, you said that you didn't recognize any of the cars. And it dawned on me. And I was like, oh, no, (laughs) they're future cars. And I was so disappointed in myself that I hadn't. (laughs) No, that's good, though. That's good. That was how I wanted it to play out. (laughs) I was like, Gwenda got me. I thought it was so good. I was like, oh, it's like when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, they're in the future. (laughs) 
So you tricked me. It was really <laughs> that was a nice touch. I really I very mean, that was... very satisfying to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Bookie Wookie wants to know how many times did you watch? You kind of answered this, but how many times do you think you watch Stranger Things to get familiar with Terry and Becky's relationship? A lot. And also just to revisit certain, you know, just just to get the vibe of the show. And I mean, like, it's not like I watched it from start to finish every time, but like revisiting specific episodes and um, and things like that. And also like poor Becky, like (laughs) she also kind of gets a short stick here. And I don't think ever really understands exactly. She should definitely read the book because then I think she'd be more sympathetic to Terry. And not so eager to, like, call up Hawkins and tip people off. (laughs) I was going to – that was something that I was thinking of when I was reading it today is that in the show, Becky is – obviously she loves her sister because she takes care of her in the house. But when Hopper and Joyce come to visit her, she's kind of dismissive saying, oh, my sister is, you know, got these problems. She thinks she had a baby, but the baby didn't live. And she's just kind of – not cold, but she's just kind of indifferent. But it's nice because when you read the book, she's a lot warmer. Like, you can see that – she just has this connection with her and she's a little bit more like, of course I'm going to help you. You're my sister. And I guess over the time period between when Jane went missing to where yeah. she is now, it's probably been incredibly like stressful. Sure. Yeah. I think for, I mean, I think Becky is one of those people who, unlike Terry, I think Becky, in my conception at least, is somebody who believes that reality is fairly simple. And not so complicated. And that it is difficult for her to, like it is for many of us, to get on board with conspiracy theories. And, you know, that she never really understands the full extent of what's going on or that there are are powers. And so all of a sudden, Terry says this right after this loss. I think you could absolutely sort of see how Becky would leap to the conclusion, this has been too much for my sister. She just lost her you know, love of her life. Mm -hmm. She just lost this baby and she's had this psychic break and can't deal with it. Yeah. You know, so that makes sense to me that she's still, but the fact is she is still there taking care of her and she has kind of sacrificed her, her life to take care of Terry, which is both sweet and very, very sad. Yeah. Stranger XX Finn wants (laughs) to know just how did you become a writer? Oh, I always wanted to be a writer. It took me a long time to get published, actually. I wrote scripts for a few years after college. And then I really had this sort of, do I want to move to L.A. to do this or not? And I started reading young adult fiction because it was sort of having heyday. And I thought, no, this is what I want to write. So I did exactly what everyone should do when they decide they want to be a a novelist. I got a bunch of student loan debt and an MFA. But uh, it all worked out. And so I had a day job for many years while I was sort of writing and figuring out how to write. And I had a blog back when people really had blogs. (laughs) The blog was the podcast of my day. And so I got from that a lot of work reviewing books and writing for Publishers Weekly. So I got to know a lot about the industry, too. And I had always been friends with writers. I actually, um, Neil Gaiman was one of my early mentors. Wow. We we became buddies when I was in college and I was his assistant's best friend. 
And so I spent summers there and he would hand me books and, you know, so it always, and we're, we're very good friends. And so it was just always kind of a, I knew that I would do it and I worked really hard, but I was definitely not one of those overnight successes. You're inspiring me. You know how we're talking <laughs> about how we have all these things in common. I yeah. actually write, you short, write? Oh, I wrote short scripts and I got accepted into a Yale summer program for writing. And yeah. then I just, you know, I just haven't had time. I have a six year old. I work yeah. full time and I just. The great thing about writing is you can come to it at any age, right? And a lot yeah. of, a lot of my friends who are very successful writers didn't publish their first books until well into their thirties and forties. That's interesting. So, I, I have tons of drafts just sitting around, but I'm like, what am I going to do with these? I don't know anybody, but now I know. Oh like, yeah. Well, and, and also like, you don't really need to know anybody. Like, I mean, I, my agents really in, in publishing, they really are just looking for, for voices and good books. And it is not, I mean, I'm not saying that knowing people won't help, but it helps you more in, in like the keep going, like, you know, in cheering each other on sort of way than it does in the business way, because, you know, people are really looking at, it's one of those industries that doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter how old you are. It's just about the work, you know, at least at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's something important with everything that you're in in life. You just have to keep driving at it. It's not necessarily, yeah. it's the person who keeps trying at it that's going to be successful. With that said, since this person who wrote this question is younger, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe younger and considering writing? You know, what kind of things should they do to propel themselves in this kind of path? Sure. Um, I think reading a lot and all sorts of different kinds of things. Books that you think you don't like, you know, seek out what people say is the best of any given genre because you'll learn different things. Also, it, instead of just thinking about things that you don't like about books, when you love a book, think about the reasons why. I think one thing we don't learn how to do is talk about what in a book works. And so that makes it difficult when you're starting out in some ways to see what you are, what's right in your writing. And it's much easier to see like kind of where you're falling short, but a lot of, but none of us are good at everything. Right. So you sort of figure out what your strengths are play to those, but also just to, to find people who will be supportive, who will support you in doing your work, whatever that looks like. And I think fanfic is a great training ground for young writers because you can get that sense of community and critique. You can learn how to tell a story, but you don't have to develop characters and, you know, the pressure's not the same. And so I think that can be a really, really valuable place to learn. I think I know the answer to this, but Bitchin011 wants to know, is there anything in this book that reveals anything from Stranger Things Season 3 without us knowing? And I feel like the answer would be without me knowing. (laughs) Well, you just give so many details that it kind of, it'll like, you can kind of take what you want from it, but it seems like some of the things that you say about Terry and especially Alice leads to maybe there's some powers that Eleven may have or that Will may have that have not yet been revealed, but you don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. I mean, I know that, you know, I mean, I know that the book is pretty, matches up pretty well with the view of the universe of the show, right? Hmm. And so there probably is stuff in there that will be like, oh, wow. But but I don't know what it is. As somebody asked me, like, have you seen season three? And I'm like, if I had seen season three, they would have me locked in a room and I would not be allowed to talk to anyone. (laughs) Island Dream wants to know, do you think that you'll ever do a Q&A live stream on your Instagram so that fans can reach out and kind of talk to you directly? 
Sure, absolutely. I will make that happen. I don't know that it will be... I'm going to be at Emerald City Comic Con, and of course I'm getting ready to go to France, so I've got a lot of travel coming up. But I will definitely figure out how to make that happen sometime soon. I was going to ask you later in the show, but since you mentioned Emerald City Comic Con, I know that that's happening in Seattle. Do you want to give the date so people can come see you? It is. I'll give the dates in the. In, I'll give the dates. I'll give okay. the dates in the intro. I I'm know, like I don't know. It's two weeks. It's three days after I get back from France. <laughs> I know a lot of fans are going to be there because Finn, Sadie, Caleb, yeah. and I think Gaten are going to be there. Do you think you're going to make your way over to the gang? Say hello. Oh, I hope so. That would be so fun. And of course, Matthew Bodine and I have become online best besties. I feel like. <gasps> um, you know, and we're trying to figure out how to do a signing event somewhere together, um, like figuring the, out our schedules. Do it in Atlanta, Gwenda. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. It'll probably be L.A. Just um, because that's where he is. But we're trying. We're trying to figure out like everybody's schedules are nuts. But we definitely both we both want to do it. So hopefully it will come together. Well, he did this cool thing a while back where he told fans if anyone purchased his Pop Funko toy and they mailed it to him with a return label he that would he would sign, sign it. it. And so that's we amazing. so we sent him a letter and we asked him to be on the podcast because that is like uh-huh. oh, our minds would explode. Yeah. Um, he did not respond to that, but he did. Did send us back a lovely little note and a signed Pop Funko. Aww. So we're yeah, still. He seems so generous. He seems just like so cool. And I mean, it's very rare for a celebrity to even acknowledge that a book like this exists. Yeah. So I appreciate him. I mean, I appreciate all his support for the book so much. Totally. We're really good friends with Kat Dyer. She plays Agent oh, Connie yeah. Fraser on season one. We yeah. love her. She is. Oh, she's magical. I feel like she's the reason that we have so many things in this podcast because she really supported us. But she told us that working with Matthew Medine was like one of the greatest experiences Aww. because she said he was just such a generous actor and just so kind. She said the way that he appears is how he is. So that oh, was that's great. Yeah. So now let's see. I'm going to ask you some of my questions. In page five, you have uh, Dr. Brenner and he's talking about something and he says, thus far, the other subjects' abilities have proven disappointing. And I'm curious, do you think that there will be a prequel or do you think we'll ever get to know subjects one through seven? Well, I mean, there's just the comic project that was just announced from Dark Horse about subject six. Six, mm mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it other than what's been announced. I think we all agreed and Paul agreed that the, we didn't want there to be, I think we didn't want there to be this idea that there were all these sort of X-Men like kids running around. Right. But also, you know, there are, there is the, there is the implication in the book because we wanted to leave that open too a bit. So it could be explored if, if, if that's the direction people want to go in, I suppose. And so those, we can assume some of those subjects are at Hawkins during the time of the book and Terry just never sees them. Mm. Because eights kept separate from them. So, you know, the fact that they've been disappointing up to that point, either that could indicate that Dr. Brenner doesn't know everything, which we see in this book. Sometimes he, you know, he he doesn't have any powers, so he can't see inside people's heads. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) Like, if he could, he'd be even worse and he would take over the world. So I think, you know, who knows? Like, maybe some of them... I mean, you know, maybe some of them develop powers later on. Like, I, I think it will be interesting to see if we get to see more of those stories or just a couple here or there. But I think 8 and 11 are probably the the biggest successes is is sort of the, the takeaway. In the book, you have 
someone and they're kind of discussing just you're talking about Terry in general and her personality. She's said to be the girl most likely to change the world. And as I mentioned earlier, you have a lot of strong feminist references in the book. And one of the things I think is interesting is, you know, as I said, when we see Terry in the show, she's just so defeated and she's just, she's mumbling. She's kind of in this trance. She can't speak. And in the book, she's like, She's worried about things, but she's strong and she's powerful and she just keeps going. Was that intentional to, I mean, you have Gloria, who's this African-American woman who's trying to like make her way in college. And you have Alice, this girl who's not your stereotypical girl's girl where she likes to fix cars. And was that something intentional that you did that you tried to incorporate throughout the book? Absolutely. I really wanted, um, uh, my mom was the like Terry's age when she was in college. And mm. she I, actually, the fact that she connected so strongly with the book when she read it was really great. But a lot of we've had a lot of conversations like she very much raised me with a feminist bent. You know, she was a print. We, I grew up in a very small town, one stoplight. She was the first female high school principal or principal of any kind in our county. And it was very controversial in a way that I think is sort of shocking to, to think about. But when you're a kid, but it was very, very controversial when she got that job. And I've often said, you know, that like Lois Lane, one of the reasons I loved her was because she was one of the first characters I ever saw on TV that was a super competent working woman like like my mom, you know, because you just didn't see that often. So I think the thing is I wanted to incorporate some of the things like that my mom had told me about, like the moment when Terry has her money that she can get because she can't have a bank account. Like that comes straight from my mom being denied a checking account, even after she had a job without my father signing off on it, Mm. because that was just still a thing. And so we think of these as the times of all these new freedoms. And it was, but there were still a lot of constraints for women and people of color in particular, and also for people who didn't have a lot of money, you know, and so... It just felt like the whole time period and setup and the fact that you do that, you know, that these experiments were carried out on people who were less powerful than the people carrying them out. You know, you can kind of by having three female characters instead of one, they can all you can explore all these different sorts of personalities and ways of being a woman without it being like the woman. And this is, you know, the only way to be. And so I loved having them all be different and unique and but still like have this core of friendship. I noticed that when you were doing it, like sprinkled throughout the book, there would be points where men would be blaming a woman for something that wasn't her fault. (laughs) You know, even from like Yoko being blamed for breaking up the Beatles or for, uh, you know, when Terry had to go visit Stacy's doctor and he says, you know, I really shouldn't be looking at you without an adult or your father here. And I, it it kind of was jarring because it's like, oh yeah, that used to happen. That's so surreal that she had to go through that. It is surreal. I mean, oh, I mean, you just you think about how far we've come and we still have plenty of of things to we still have plenty more to to do. But yeah, I mean, those things were just everyday parts of life. So yeah, I didn't want to like necessarily that to be a focus, but it just felt like an honest thing to show. And I felt like when I was reading it that all of the women characters had some redeeming quality about them. You know, Dr. Parks, who I think is a woman, you know, when Alice is dead, Dr. Parks is one of the only doctors in the lab that's like upset by it. And Callie's got these powers and she's got the flaw that she doesn't know how to use them yet and she loses control. But she's also kind and says, I'm going to overcome that as a five-year-old to protect Alice and to protect Terry. And then the librarian, I thought, was such a cool (laughs) touch. 
I was like, she could be her own character because when Terry asked her, you know, how does yeah. someone vanish? She's just like, let me show you the chronicles on how you should do this. Uh, I know. My copy editor was like, why does she help her? And I'm like, because she's a librarian. <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> Need to disappear? Sure. They know the Dewey Decimal System and they help people escape from mad, evil dictators. <laughs> I loved it, but I really did. I did notice the strong theme throughout the book, and it might have been because I was just like hardcore pushing myself to get yeah, through the yeah, book yeah. that I. But I noticed it, and I was like, "That's well, a nice I touch." I, I did definitely didn't want, um, and also like you know, I wanted though there to be good guys too, right? Oh, totally, um, Andrew and Ken. Yeah. yeah, Andrew and Ken are great, and even like clueless Dave, Andrew's roommate. Like <laughs> yeah. he's not the worst. Like you know, he's just kind of a, you know a little more privileged. <laughs> I like that it was incorporated that Callie was there and that there might be other children there. Because when you're reading it, you're like, why are these people coming back to the lab every week? After the first few times, it would have been like, no, thank you. But I liked that Terry had this will that she knew something was happening. And then I liked that she had this community, as you called them, like the Scooby gang, where they were all like, we're going to join together and we're going to take down Dr. Brenner. That was a really, I liked it. Well, and I think that like Gloria really nails it as like, I mean, because there is the question of just stop going. Right? Yeah. But, you know, you've got Kali there who you're not you can't abandon until you figure out what's going on with her. But also, I think that Gloria's is right that Dr. Brenner wouldn't have let them just stop coming. Right. We talked a lot about how you sprinkle these certain things throughout the book. And one of my favorite was when Dr. Brenner has Terry get into the wetsuit and get into the metal tank. And I thought that's so perfect because it's just. <laughs> You know, it's Eleven getting into the tank, and it's it, it was just such a nice connection to know that even though Terry and Eleven didn't get to know each other, they had these connections with each other throughout the book. It's like she went into the same tank, or when she was yeah. able to see her through Alice's visions, it made me feel better because yeah. I felt so bad for Terry. I thought at least she has this connection with Eleven in some way. Poor Terry. I'm like, can there be a kid who has the power to fix brains? And it's like... Do, do, do. Terry's fix. She's great. Well, I'm hoping probably that it, not going to happen, but you know, well, I'm hoping that, I mean, a lot of fans and I know that it's one of Tori and my like hopes is that in season yeah. four or five, we hope that they come back to Terry yeah. and that somehow she's, I think the fact that 11 is there and she's val it's validated that she was right the whole time. It's just, how do you get rid of those 11 years of stress of not having your daughter and knowing well, that she's and with, you're, yeah, and having, like, the electroshock fry your, you know, brain, like, yeah. you know. This book ends in a way where there's still people that are alive. You know, Ken has made it, Gloria's made it, Alice has made it, and so I'm so hopeful that either there's a sequel to this book <laughs> or that somehow in the show those people come together to help Eleven in some way. And one of the things I thought was really fascinating was at the end you're talking about Ken, how he meets his boyfriend, and he's a military agent who works at Hawkins, and they're kind of like feeding information to Terry like here's a picture of what 11 looks like so one of the things I thought that would be great for a sequel is what happens to Terry in those 11 years from the point that we ended the book where Dr. Brenner has taken baby Jane right where she's still kind of strong like she's obviously depressed but she's still speaking coherently fighting yes right yeah she's still fighting like we know from the little news clippings in the show that she's filing lawsuits and you know, trying to get people to basically 
barge into Hawkins and shut it down and is not successful. So that's what I'm interested in. What happened in that 11 years from the point Dr. Brenner took baby Jane to where 11 is, you know, a 12-year-old girl and she finds Terry in that state? What what was the story? What was going on in those 11 years? And what was it that finally pushed Terry to the brink where she was like, I can't, no one will ever believe me? That would just be... That would be a great sequel. That's a tip from me to you. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> uh, I really liked when you were telling about Eleven's name. Her birth name is Jane. And that the inspiration for that was Jane Goodall. And how she found it very important that she name the creatures, the gorillas and the orangutans that she yeah. was working with versus Brenner, who's like one, two, three, four exactly. subject. <laughs> Were the Duffers or was anyone influential in telling you where the name Jane came from? Or was that something that you came up with on your own? I came up with that on my own. And I thought, I really hope that they let me have this because I just thought it was so perfect. (laughs) I mean, it was one of those things when I was looking through the timeline of like things that were happening that year. And I don't really remember what sparked the idea, but then I looked it up and it fit the timeline perfectly because she just sort of her work had just started to become known like in the couple years around the book. And I I don't know, like it just, that was one of the first things that gave me an insight into Terry's character as I was starting to outline and plot the book was thinking about, and also I think this actually, this scene got cut for space reasons and just because it didn't fit anymore, but like also why there was creepy clowns in the, in, Jane's nursery mm. as part of the decoration. So there was a little back and forth, like Ken brought the creepy clown and Gloria's like, clowns are the worst. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know? So like, that was one of the few things that didn't make it in, but like little things like that, I wanted to put in little explanations, not to as much as big things. Those are the satisfying things. And I love that so many people have, have latched onto that because, you know, it is very indicative of Terry's character. I think that she both has a sense of humor, but also is like, you know, fuck you, Brenner. Oh, sorry. Cursing. Guys, (laughs) this is a, this, I dropped so many F-bombs in this show. (laughs) You're, uh, you know, you're not gonna study my daughter, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. We have a friend who knows the people that own where the Ives' home is shot. We haven't asked to go there just because we don't know. We don't know. But um, we kind of feel it out. But they were saying that the room that they shoot in where the nursery is, where the kind of oranges walls and the pictures, Uh that it was kind of that room was just like that. I'm sure they did some set dressing. Oh, that's funny. So I think you should definitely I think they would let you come and check it out. (laughs) I feel like I feel like you have to. I feel like you have to see those things. I feel like this is a book you could read a couple of times and go back over and see things that you missed the first time. But it was a really great book. I really enjoyed it. And as you know, we've told everyone that they should read it. And it was really nice to learn about Terry's backstory. And it was nicer to learn about Eleven's father. And I think it's really important because Eleven's character is so shy, but she's also so strong-willed. And you can see that because Andrew is just the most lovely, caring person. Yeah. It's so admirable that, like, no matter what Terry said... You know, she's going to this crazy experiment and he's like, okay, babe, sounds great. And <laughs> she's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel sick and I don't think I should go. And this guy seems creepy. And he's like, you know what? You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> he was just so supportive. And so that was a really wonderful feature. One of the things I wanted to point out as I was reading your acknowledgments where you were thanking everyone in the book and your last line is stay strange. And I was like, that's our slogan. We say that. It- Yes. I mean, I did realize that. And it was a little hat tip to you guys. (gasps) What? Mind blown, guys. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate you talking with us today. I'm sure that the minute we hang up, someone is going to send me a million messages. But we asked all the questions. We asked all the questions yeah. we were given. Yeah, I can always come back. I love you guys. So. I know. We're best friends now. Yeah, obviously. So, I'm going to read your book and you're going to become a published author. Like, might be <laughs> 10 years from now, but who knows? <laughs> uh, that would be fantastic. And I'll be like you with Neil Gaiman. I'll be like, guys, I'm like great friends with Gwenda Bond. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for fans of Stranger Things, now I know this because it's in the back of the book, but I don't know how much of the book everyone reads. Do you want to give them a little input about your Lois Lane series and what your other novels are if they want to check them out? Sure. I think for people that like this book, the Lois Lane books you might like are uh, an origin story from the point of view of Lois Lane, of Lois and Clark when they're teenagers. It's her moving to Metropolis for the first time and becoming a reporter. And then I also have a series, uh, the Circa Americon series, that I do circus as a hobby. That's about a girl from a family of wire walkers and a boy from a trapeze artist family who have solved a mystery together. And I do have one kind of dark mystery book, Strange Alchemy, that people who like this book probably would like. But you can find all my stuff on GwendaBond.com. Do you want to go ahead and say all of your social media, your Instagram, yeah, your Twitter? Yeah, sure. So I'm pretty much Gwenda or GwendaBond everywhere. I do have a tiny letter I sent out you can sign up at my website i don't send it as often as i should but i do send it i'm on instagram Bond, and i'll probably be posting lots of stranger things fans from france in the next couple weeks so that should be fun for everyone and i'm at gwenda on twitter where i am far too frequently found but i do pretty much see everything that comes into my social i can't necessarily respond to everything but i do see it oh, um cool. yeah now, we do actually have some fans from, from France that listen to the podcast. I know that you might not have the dates for... Bonjour! <laughs> <laughs> I know you may not have the dates for everything, but do you want to name any appearances you're going to have and people can just Google yes. it or we can say it at the beginning? So if they go look at the Lumen, L-U-M-E-N is my publisher there, and they're posting a lot of stuff on their Instagram and Twitter, but there'll be a signing on March 7th in Paris, and they're supposed they're going to have lots of free uh, t-shirts and pens and posters and all sorts of goodies so definitely come out and say bonjour <laughs> i wish we could get one of those is there will they have i them? will i will uh, i'll try to snag a few extras and send <gasps> you guys some we'll paypal you some money <laughs> oh no it's fine it's fine <laughs> that's exciting take pictures and then I'm very excited that you're going to be at Emerald City Comic Con. We were hoping to go to that, but we can't. Womp womp. So take lots of video and and um, yeah. you know post a lot of pictures with the fans. That's super exciting. And definitely keep us posted on whenever you and your new best friend Matthew Modine do your signing. <laughs> Will do. And uh, and thanks so much to you guys for your support. You are just the loveliest, loveliest people. It's the Stranger Things community. They're such nice people. Yeah. It's like we haven't met one single Stranger Things actor or crew member or fan or anything that hasn't been a delight. We were at a concert once and a 13-year-old girl came up to us and started crying. Aww. And she was, like, <laughs> she was like, are you Ashley and Tori? And we were like, Aww. us? We're no one. We're no one. I, this is how I feel when that happens to me. It's a little overwhelming, but yeah. No, you're quite magical, and I can see why people would. Be, when you posted, you were in Decatur the other morning for a conference, I, I, and I was like, no. I totally forgot. It was like this one day meetup. Like it was like a, a like literally a a sun up to sundown like confab with about twenty authors. Like. Yeah. 
just talking, you know, like craft business stuff. And it never even, I've been so busy, it didn't even occur to me until I saw your message like wet halfway through the day. But next time, we do make it to Atlanta. So next time for sure, we will meet up for coffee and and Hawkins touristing. Definitely. (laughs) I sent Gwenda a note and I was like, please, for the love of God, tell me that you were at Hawkins Lab. And you were like, no, it didn't even cross my mind. (laughs) No, I'm, you know, distracto writer girl. Thank you, Gwenda. It's awesome talking to you. You're a delight. Thank you. And thank you for being as wonderful as we thought you would be. Aw, thank you. Ashley and Tori are my new best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley and Tori are totally my new best friends. Yes. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. I do really appreciate your guys' support. Thank you, Gwenda. Thank you. Bye. Great to meet you. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Upside Down Podcast hosted by Sisters Ash and Tori. For more information, visit our website at theupsidedownpod.com. You can also contact us at theupsidedownpod at gmail.com as well as follow us on our Facebook and Instagram under the Upside Down Podcast. Episodes are released every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe. If you love the podcast, be sure to review us on whatever you listen to us on. Thanks again. Stay strange. Say strange love. It's cute.